Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi friends, today on Feminine Roadmap, Donna and I are going to tackle the big topic of parenting adult children. What is it, what does it look like, and what mindsets do we need to put on in order to create a healthy relationship? Please grab a cup of something wonderful, a pen, and a journal, and listen in. Hi Donna. Hi, Gina. How are you doing today? I'm doing great today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. So we've decided to dive into the deep end of the pool with no floaties today. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's going to be a good talk. It'll be a good talk. And I think at the very beginning, I would like to put this out there. This is one of those podcasts where we really want to have a conversation, but we're not necessarily promising any roadmap necessarily. Uh, You and I are both in the midst of this journey of transitioning. We still have children at home who are adults and how we're navigating that. You have a daughter who's out married and pregnant with her first child. So this might be one of those conversations that doesn't uh, come up with great solutions, but we thought it would be something that a lot of women are really struggling with and how can we start the conversation and get some ideas rolling in our community. So be thinking as you're listening to this, what your perspective is and and how you can contribute to this conversation because we do have a way to contact us through our tribe at feminineroadmap.com. You can also go to our website and leave comments. So pretty please, if you have some great ideas, Donna and I would both gratefully receive them. Yeah. You know, there's so many different kinds of situations that people have with their adult children now. And when you're around 50, most people are going through that transition, men and women mm-hmm. and families. And so I know that our tribe has all kinds of answers that we probably haven't even heard of. But the good thing is that there's so much information now. I, I say this all the time. We're living in the best of times. I was just talking with my daughter yesterday about how you can find a solution to pretty much anything on the internet, right? If you just Google it, you're going to find all kinds of information. And so we were just talking a little bit before we started recording today about Gina has a book and I found a guy on the internet who all of he all that he does is teach people how to create a contract that's for their adult children and it's not through an attorney but it's just on your own sitting down with your adult children who are still living at home under your roof and setting some boundaries and some guidelines of how you want your relationship to look because you're really, they're not your little kids anymore that you're going to be taking care of a hundred percent. You know, you, you want, you you don't necessarily want to just kick them out and say you're out of here, but at the same time they have to follow the rules. And so that's a struggle a lot of times. And then the, the book that you had, Gina, what was the book about? You know, it was about how to relate to your adult children and, 
I'm in the process of figuring out where it's at. It's got a bookmark in it because I was reading it and I probably carried it off somewhere and set it down in an unusual place. So hopefully by the time this podcast airs, I will have found it and can put it in the show notes. But the thing that I spend a lot of time thinking about is, and I guess I should say my philosophy is that as parents, we are given this stewardship of our children. And as they are growing up, let's say you have 18 years to mold, shape, invest, influence, guide your children and laying a strong foundation, there does come a point when we have to empower them to begin to make decisions and empower them to really stand on their own two feet in their mindsets, in their career choices and things like that. It's kind of like the way I view it is you switch from a parent to a coach. So as a parent, I would tell my child, you will do this, you won't do that. You need to do this and you can't do that. But the older they get, the more it becomes a conversation and we are helping them to process things so that they can learn how to make those decisions in a healthy way. So, for example, for me, I'm not a big fan of tattoos. I don't judge people with them, and many people in my life have them, but I don't want any. There's really nothing in this world that I want on my body permanently. I'm just that person, right? But my girls are growing up in an environment where tattoos are very common, even in the Christian community. It's just kind of something people do. So the conversation that happens in our house on that topic is, that while I would prefer they didn't for different reasons, depending on what you want to do with your life, depending on where you want to work, depending on relationships, those things can create a mindset in the person that sees them. So it's just something to think about. I don't believe in boxes, but it's something that is culturally just true. So we had this discussion and what I felt was the appropriate thing for me to say is, I appreciate that you gave me the chance to speak my piece. My do- I told my daughters, I appreciate that, that you talked to me about it. Now, I also want you to know that I'm not a big fan, but I am not comfortable telling you you can't because at what point do we stop telling our children what to do and trust them to make decisions on their own? So that's really the transition in my mind is going from parent to coach and mentor and trusting in that transition that if we've laid the groundwork well, that they will come back to us for input and advice on the things that they really need help with, as opposed to, you know, expecting them to do what I want and what I say just because I gave birth to them, you know? Yeah. And I think, what you're saying is that you had this discussion. You ha- you're having these discussions about these things that maybe you don't see eye to eye with. And that's what I think it's really all about is, the, is having those discussions mm-hmm. and opening the doors of communication. You know, that's, that's many, many times, if not all the time, the key to human relationships is your communication. Mm-hmm. And so not trying, again, telling them what to do, but when we have the same discussion about tattoos in our family, a lot of times I, I talk about 
further on down the, the years and how you might feel about that tattoo, those kinds of things. Like you have to really look at it all from all angles because I think it's a pretty big decision to have something permanent that's on you, you know, and there's really no easy way to get rid of it now. So yet, maybe someday there will be, but you have to think, okay, now I really like Disneyland and Mickey Mouse, but when I'm 80 or 90 years old, am I going to really want Mickey Mouse tattooed like huge on my shoulder? Maybe, but you don't know. And so I think you, you really have to kind of, get them thinking about all of these things, not telling them what to do or not do, but just getting them to look at all the angles so they can make a really good informed decision. And like you're saying, as far as it, as us playing a coach kind of role, well, we have life experience, many, many years of experience. And so we know, like I was telling Stacy the other day that I, I thought Felix the cat was really cool. I don't know if you know who Felix the cat yeah. is, but Felix the cat, <laughs> that cartoon was, it's pretty old. Okay. When I was about, I don't know, probably about 22 or three, I found this Felix the Cat t-shirt and I thought it was the coolest thing. And I wore this t-shirt all the time and people would say, oh, what is that cat on your, oh, this is Felix the Cat. And then I would start singing the little Felix the Cat jingle. And I thought that I was so cool, right? With this shirt. And so then that kind of wore off and I put it away in the closet. And then uh, 10 years later, I found this t-shirt in the back of my closet. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what a stupid thing I went through with that Felix the cat thing. And so I kind of think in my head, if I was young right now, the same age, 23 and I, and I had the opportunity to get Felix the cat tattooed on me, I probably would have done it. <laughs> and so I'm just thinking 10 years later, I might've thought, Oh, why did I get this Felix the cat tattoo? Oh my gosh. It's like, how stupid. So those kinds of things. Now I'm not saying that you're always going to think it's stupid, but you know, it's, well, like- it's so true though. Like there's this, I've always told my girls, I said, you know, 18 to 23, is the adult version of birth to five years old. The amount yeah. of shifting like and maturing that should and usually does happen between 18 and 23 is massive. It's yeah. massive. You're such a different person emotionally and in your mind at 23. If you've had a healthy transition, it's things that you thought were so important at 18 seem archaic yeah. at 23. That's so true. And many of the things that we went through these phases of the big hair in the eighties and all these, you know, the disco and all that stuff the, uh-huh. in the seventies, I, I, I thank God that it was not permanent stuff that we, <laughs> that we don't have to still look like that. Thank you, Jesus. I do not. I, you know, it's so funny. This is a total side note. When neon was in, in the eighties, I hated it. And just recently I saw some girl head to toe neon and I was like, no, don't bring it back. Not the neon again, but it's so true. You know, the things that we thought were so important when we were younger. And I think helping our children navigate those five years from 18 to 23 and, 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 and being more of a coach on the sidelines and, and for me, praying for them, trying to time the conversations appropriately. Also, this is something that I thought a lot about depending on the kind of support that we had from our parents 
healthy support or not healthy support or healthy expectations or not healthy expectations. I think the way that we show up as parents for me is being mindful that what would have been beneficial for me, maybe what I, maybe what I would have liked to have heard and trying to come at it a little more objectively, not from a place of fear or worry or stress, because we forget sometimes as adults, as we go through life and things happen, it can make us paranoid or make us see things skewed because we're seeing it through our experience. I'm not talking wisdom. I'm talking like emotional baggage kind of stuff that will come in and, and kind of cloud. We're coming at it from our wounds or our hangups. And I try very hard to question myself and say, okay, this situation might trigger an emotion in me, you know, this conversation with my daughter or this situation my daughter's going through could very much trigger some emotions in me. And I try to be mindful of that so I don't get into the conversation with her when I'm in that headspace because I'm coming at it in a way that may not relate to her situation at all. It has just triggered something for me. And so there's this, I call it a dance. <laughs> it's like the dance between my life experience and the, at this part of my journey and hers at the beginning of, of the journey. And where does the wisdom get drawn out of my journey without coloring hers or trying to, to influence her or push her in a specific direction? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Our glasses, we need to be very careful what glasses we're wearing when we're coaching our kids because it can be very easy for us to put our, our hangups and our fears on them when it's not necessary. So I always say that parenting is pretty much something God gives to us so that we grow. Like <laughs> the kids are the tool, but it's really more about my, us growing. It's, such, it's the hardest and most rewarding thing I've ever done because of the work I've had to do on my own issues to be a better mother to my children. So I think as I parent them, if you will, growing up, I was constantly trying to keep that, that in, in mind. And as they become adults, it becomes even more so because these adult things that they're going through can really bring back negative memories. Don't you agree? Yeah, definitely. And you know what, really, when you were talking, you mentioned fear. And I think that that is really what we have to keep a close eye on is our own fears. Because when you think about it, our generation, for anybody who's about age 50 right now, we really haven't been through anything in the world. Now, granted, there's a lot of disasters, there's things that are happening, but we haven't had the kind of suffering that, say, they did when they went through the Depression in the 1920s or when with the world wars, World War One and Two, and also even Vietnam. And, you know, we're like at the very tail end of that. And we haven't had that kind of unrest and turmoil, at least not in this country. Right. And so we know the kind of suffering that our parents and their parents had gone through, I think probably built character and trust to where now I think we don't have, I'm, I'm not, there's a lot of very faithful people. I'm not trying to point fingers again, but I think as a whole, we have a lot of fears that maybe aren't even really justified. You know, just mm -hmm. because we have the internet, we have all this media, we have news constantly blaring at us, CNN and, and all of these different 
you know, horrible things that are going on. And so we have this feeling like the world is such a dangerous place. When I read, actually, the, the world right now is safer than it ever has been. That overall, in all countries throughout the world, it's a more safe environment than it ever has been in all of history. And so why do we have this fear? And why do we feel like we have to protect our kids? And, you know, if they move out, they're not going to have any money. They're not going to be able to survive. They're never going to be able to buy a house. You know, again, I think that's like our negative self-talk, you know, and what we've probably been fed for many, many years through all these different sources about how terrible the world is. So again, it's a choice, you know, and just thinking that I have to trust. Trust is huge. And I think we're afraid of seeing our own children suffer. But we know the way to get stronger a lot of times is through those pains, the growing pains, making bad decisions and then having to suffer, you know, and, and, and dealing with those choices that we made. But there's no way they're ever going to learn that and become strong, upright, trustworthy people unless they suffer a little bit. And so when you think, what are we so afraid of? You know, why is it so painful to see your child having difficulty or, you know, going through something that maybe, you know, if only they did this or that, I, I have the answer because I've been through it myself, but that you can't tell them, you know, that's, it's tough. It is tough. And I think that a large portion of what we do as parents really comes down to how we feel about the situation and we forget that these, that they are experienced, they need to experience life, you know, themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is an inevitability, you know, but really from my perspective, I think that giving our children what they need emotionally, but not doing for them, or giving them the answers to all of their problems, allowing them to struggle through it, like you're saying, allow them to wrestle with it a little bit. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really, that's a really powerful thing. Anything to do with emotions, because emotions are what kind of seal the deal also mm -hmm. within us, you know, for any of good and bad. So you're like you're saying, support them emotionally so that they can get through it, you know, and not worrying so much that if they make a bad choice that it's going to ruin their life, even though it, and let's say worst case scenario, they do make a choice that ruins their life. You know, it, once they're an adult, that's the way it is. I don't, I don't really know one single family that every single person in the family has turned out just great. You know what I mean? It's like we all can of course, in my family, it's not me, but we have these black sheep in the family. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I've been called the black sheep of the family sometimes too. But the thing is that, that we can't expect that it's going to be perfect. We don't live in a perfect world. So to have unrealistic expectations, I think too, for them. It's really an interesting thing to look at what our motives are. As a, as a parent of adult children, what is motivating me to say the thing I'm saying or do the thing I'm doing in this moment? What is it? You know, again, back to that thing that I said that parenting our adult children is just that next level of what is it going to cost me 
and am I, am I willing to pay that price? Because my children are a stewardship from God. That's what I believe. And so I have a responsibility to get them to the place where they will be able to contribute to the world in a positive way, like be a citizen, have good work ethic. You know, there's so much more to it. And if I'm only thinking about how I feel and how it affects my life, then I'm basically becoming a roadblock to the person that they really could become. And so I'm always trying to be mindful that I'm trying to step back and allow the space that they need to become the people that they are, as well as being available to have those conversations and pray with and for them when they need it. I mean, obviously I pray for them anyway, but if they ask me specifically to, to be able to be a sounding board for them as adult children and always trying to keep in check, like I said, my own feelings about the situation so that I'm authentically showing up for them, not as a buffer for my own feelings. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of what you're saying, I think, is just, again, looking within our own self for the answers, you know, and not, not really putting it off on them, but looking inside our own self. What is the motive for what I'm saying? What is the motive for the way that I'm treating them? Like, what, what's really going on in me? What's being triggered? you know, from my past. And, and I think what's really great about, you know, there's a lot of great things about being 50, but one of the things is that when you get to the transition, like my daughter's pregnant and you know that you're going to have grandchildren, you can start to think about the relationship that you're going to have with those little brand new babies. And, you know, as a mom yourself, when you're, when you go through that, it's overwhelming. And, you know, you don't really even have a lot of time to think about it. And so, and so I think this is, it's exciting to just think of how, wow, like you can, you, you can impart all of this wisdom. You can teach your, your grandchildren. And I think that grandparents are so valuable when they look at the relationship in that way, you know, is that how can I change? How can I contribute, not change? How can I contribute? to create positive in the world, you know, because as you get older, you've been through so much stuff. You can you know, you know, hopefully, you know, not everybody knows, but that's probably most of the people listening to this podcast are interested in making their lives better in some way. And so when you think about how much influence that we have in that respect, it's pretty huge. We also, all have a different situation. We have different upbringings that we've experienced. We have different belief structures on what that relationship looks like and how it should play out. We have expectations that we've either learned from our family or we've built for ourselves. And in every marriage, there's a husband and a wife. Some people are single going through this journey and it's not a one size fits all, but the conversation is so important to, so that we have the support. So we know we're not the only one that struggles with this kind of conundrum of what does it look like to be the, the parent of an adult child? You know, Lord willing, I'll never have to watch my daughter suffer uh, an, you know, an abusive marriage because <laughs> honestly, I'll probably end up in prison. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we don't want to go through that. But do you know what I'm saying? I, I think yeah. I'm just talking about the mechanics of how do we transition from the mindset of I'm the mom to, okay, now you're the adult. How can I support you? I think that's the shift that I spend a lot of time thinking about making sure that I agree if, if they are living in your home, there is a weird shift at some point to figure out how are you going to navigate that in a way that's supportive of everybody? What is enabling? What is empowering? We're in the middle of that decision process right now. And it's not that clear. Some people are very much like, well, you just have to kick them out or, well, you just have to do this. But there are principles that we can follow, like what really is the best thing healthy-wise for your relationship, for your marriage, for your home, for your finances, for your time. You know, there's different layers and taking the time to really think about all of those things. And I think what we're trying to do is work together to say, okay, we're all adults here. How are we going to live together in the same house? We're having those conversations, you know, food. Are you going to provide your own food? Should you provide your own food? What does this look like? You, know, you take care of that car. And, you know, it's, it's so much. It's actually harder. I yeah. feel like it's a lot harder. Well, it's funny because I talked to so many women who have adult children still living at home. And, and we all kind of say the same thing. Like, wow, when I was about 16, I made up my mind, mind that I was going to move out. And I did everything in my power to move out. Like I wanted to get out of my house. Why are our kids staying at home forever and they don't want to leave? You know, and that's a good question because I have two sisters, so we didn't have a huge family. It wasn't like there was no room in the house or whatever, but I just could start to feel the tension as I got older of me wanting to do things my way and my parents not wanting me to do it that way. And so I just wanted out so I could have my freedom. So I, I worked very, very hard to move out of the house. And when I did, I was, what, about 17, 18. I never really went back. And so I wonder what the difference is now and why the kids don't want to leave and why they want to stay at home. And I think a big part of that is because, again, we haven't been through a whole lot of uh, really tragic suffering in this country we've been able to en enable them to, to do a lot of things that maybe like my parents really didn't give us a lot. We give our kids a lot, lot more than they ever gave us. And so it was, that was another thing. Like we were just expected to earn everything or we just didn't have it. And there was no, it, there was no problem with that. It was like, if you want something, you get a job and you, and you buy it. You know, we didn't have phones. Of course we didn't have computers. We didn't have any of this stuff. Things were a lot, lot different. One of the things that's really, I think, very unique right now is I've noticed that a lot of people are getting married later. So I, I personally did not expect to be in this situation with the age of my daughters without them having some kind of future prospect because I know they would like to be married. And so by my oldest daughter's age, I was married with two babies. So I honestly kind of didn't really think what am I going to do if we get to this age and our girls aren't married? Like I didn't think about that. I just kind of assumed a natural progression would take place and it's really not happening that way. And so I think that 
I didn't prepare them well for what if. So that's kind of something that's making me feel like, okay, what is the pivot that I need to make then? Because I didn't really do a good job in my own mind of preparing them for what if. I guess I just kind of thought that things, you know, everyone in our friend group, everything kind of happened in this age group. Most everybody was at least with their future life partner by 25 or 26. And so there was a a plan in place. But my girls and all of their friends are all in the same place where there isn't a young man that there just aren't any young men in in the current like space of their life, like that interests them or, or, or matches them. And so I have this whole group of girls that I know that are in the same age group without really having any prospect, although they would like to be in relationships. And so it's not like, Oh, we're just this anomaly, but it's really happening on a lot of levels. People are waiting. Some people are waiting really long to get married for whatever reason, guys and gals. So I think I missed the mark on that. And so I'm trying to figure out how to pivot and help my daughters think, okay, what's, how, how can you live actively and vi- vibrantly while you wait? You know what I mean? We really wanted to support them in their education and getting those things done. But then when those things were done, there were still no prospects. So I think that I, I need to, sh- to help them shift because I never had that conversation. Maybe yeah. I'm taking on too much. I don't know. I think so because as you're speaking, I'm wondering, is it possible to prepare our children for all anything, really? All we have is our own experience and our own knowledge of, of our own life. And so there are, there's all kinds of things that can happen that would be outside of our outside of our thinking or outside of our ability to really even understand. And sometimes I think even to entertain those ideas is scary. So to be able to prepare someone for it, I'm not sure that it would even be possible to actually prepare someone for something that, that first of all, might never happen or even to think about it. So I think that is taking on a lot. That's taking on, I think it's making it seem like, there's something missing, but there probably really isn't because we we're living in a time where things are so much different than they ever have been. And we're talking a little bit about how families are smaller. Women are going to college. They're getting married at a much older age than they ever were in the past. Mm. Uh, They're having far fewer children. They're making the choice of how many children they want, or if they don't want any children. That's never been throughout the course of the entire world that way. This is all brand new stuff. Really, since the 1970s is when all of this kind of came to be. And so we're looking at a different world in so many different ways. The dynamics of all of that is huge. And so I don't know if we could really prepare anyone because we don't even know ourselves. We, we, like you're saying, you didn't think of that. You didn't think of it because it really wasn't the norm. You know, a lot of things are not the norm now. (laughs) So we don't know how is that going to look? My daughter wants to have a big family. How is that going to look? You know, it's like, I think you're going to look, be looked at as like a complete freak if you have seven or eight kids when that was completely the norm for our grandparents. 
I mean, all on both sides, my family, they had what seven, eight kids, you know, that was normal. That was expected. And so now everything is, is like, how can we expect that they might not meet men? And, and it's funny because we have this global kind of world and economy now, and yet it's much harder to have a good relationship, a strong, really deep relationship. I think it's a challenge because, again, of the Internet. Well, there's, a, there's a lot of information here we're looking at. You know, <laughs> that's the other thing is the way things are done are so different now. We really used to be in social environments to meet people, and now a lot of things are happening virtually, which is so different because you can't see how a person um, functions in a social environment. You're not seeing how they engage with their friends or their family. You're just like giving them what you want them to see via a text or a one-hour meetup, you know, somewhere for a cup of coffee. But that's a very... Um, very abbreviated version of who that person is, if it's even who they are. So I think that (laughs) I told my daughters, I'm like, I'm not really sure how to help you navigate this because I think it's kind of strange. You know, people aren't even talking face to face half the time. They're doing it via text. Yeah. There's, there's someone I know. It's actually a mutual friend of ours, but I'm not going to name names. And his son he lived, they live on the East coast. He met a girl online that lived in California and he made the decision just by meeting her like over Skype or zoom conversations to move in with her, to move completely across that they'd never met in person and they are living together now. I don't know how the relationship's going. I think it's still okay. It's been about a year ago. And I was, when he told me that I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, how could you possibly make, how could you, <laughs> and he said, I don't know. I think he's just, he looks at it was sort of like a roommate on the one hand, if it doesn't work out, you know, <laughs> it's like, wow, things are way different. I, seriously, you know, it, it, even as far as dating and online, meeting people online, you know, I think it, it completely changes the dynamics, right? I mean, you, you can, on the one hand, I think it could be better because you could learn a lot about people in a short amount of time and you wouldn't have to waste your time dating them, you know, for four or five in-person dates before you decide they're not for you at all. But at the same time, you know, long distance challenges. I've, I've heard people are up against that too, where they, they meet someone online, but they live so darn far away and neither one of them really wants to relocate or even to fly that far to visit each other. You know, so who knew that we'd have all these challenges? Who knew, right? you know, if our so grandparents, was, yeah, I know. Like, how could we even explain this to someone who lived even 50, 70 years ago versus now? You know, so it's a very short period of time. But, you know, I think sometimes too, that people, a lot of people are being called to a single life for whatever reason. And mm. I kind of wonder about that sometimes because having a family is that becomes your life. And so I think people who don't get married or maybe they get married at an older age, that gives them a lot of years to really do a lot of things and maybe make a big difference in the world that needs to happen. You know, I always think like there's got to be a reason for this happening this way. There's always a bigger reason that's going to, something's going to happen because of it. And I like to think it's 
usually something good, but sometimes it has to be something bad in order for change to happen. But I, I, I don't think anyone really ever wants to be alone. And so I think that we have to always have hope that there's going to be something better. And that comes back to how we relate as the parent, our emotional state, our life experience, and how we bring that to the table as we have conversations with our adult children. And that, that has been a real challenge. Like I really try very hard to watch what I'm feeling bleeding into the conversation. Obviously it's impossible to not have any of it bleed in, but just trying to be mindful because um, back to what I said at the very beginning that I really very strongly believe that it should shift to a coach mentorship relationship. And if we have laid the foundation that we wanted to lay, we have to test that foundation by allowing our children to make decisions. And for my daughters, um, I very much felt like college is a choice, not a, you have to do this. And um, they have friends whose parents told them that they had to, they had to go to college. They had to get a degree whether or not they used that degree. And so my philosophy was more like God has a plan for your life. It may include a four-year degree, very much so, but it may not include a four-year degree. And I really feel like life is so grand that at any point someone can go back and get a degree when they're ready to earn it for the right reasons. So I have a little bit more of a broad mind when it comes to things like that. I feel like I want my children's gifts and abilities to flourish and to grow for them to not live an ordinary life in the sense that you do this, then you do this, then you do this. And that's what life equals. I really wanted to empower my daughters to think about what is it that you really want to do and how can we make that happen? So it's a little bit of a, a different path. It's not as quote predictable um, on paper, but it, I think is the best path for my children. Some people love that very predictable path, but knowing your own children and being that encouragement to support the thing that they want to do and helping them navigate that, I think is my way of going about parenting my adult children, really trying to be that sounding board, but not the one driving the ship, just really trying to stay in the, the role of listener and helping navigate if they need the help or if they want, actually, if they want <laughs> the help, yeah. not need it, but want it really allowing them to come to me for it instead of constantly uh, stepping in, you know? Yeah. Well, what you're, what I hear you saying is that you, that you've talked about that they can do it their way and that, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, that's how I grew up. My mom just told me, you just have to get married, like find a husband. Like that was kind of what we did. We just, you know, we dated and we found up, we found someone and we decided to get married. And so maybe even because you've, you've opened this opportunity to them and said, you can do anything you want. Maybe even in a small or subconscious kind of way, they, they aren't choosing yet to be married. I don't know. You know, it's, it's interesting to, to think of all the dynamics because maybe there is something in their heart that isn't even obvious to them yet that they need to do before they get married and have children. And then they're, you know, that will be their life. Who knows? You know, so I think it, 
it's, it's hard because my daughter went through the same thing. She went through college. She really didn't even date anyone in college. And then she graduated and she felt like, okay, now I'm not going to be able to meet anyone because in college, there's all these kids your age. And if I couldn't even find anyone in college, then what's going to happen now? And so I was in the same kind of situation, just saying, wow, what am I going to tell her? Because yeah, I mean, she, she wants to get married. She wants to date but there's really no guys around. And so I started just saying, you know what, let's just look at all of what your life could be. And she really kind of started to come out of her shell and become more confident. And then when, when she gained that confidence, it was like, boom, this guy appears out of nowhere. Well, it's a family we've known for a long time, but still we, I had no idea that their son was going to end up with my daughter. And so it was like, almost like, she had like the timing had to be right. There was like something more that had to happen before she was ready, you know? And so now she seems very at peace now, now, even though she still worries, she's like me, we worry, we worry, but we, but I'm changing that now, you know, and just saying, wow, like it's much more beneficial to be excited about the future than to worry about the future. Yeah. And, and that's a pivot for us because, you know, you were told just find a husband, you know, but we are trying to say, okay, that's definitely the truth that we are all in process. And I think there are good, better, best times to do things and good, better, best decisions that can be made. And I think our ultimate goal is to provide a support structure for our adult children so that. Uh, the family unit is their kind of safe place. It's their home base. It's the place where they can express what they really think and feel without worry of being rejected or judged, but just to give them that kind of, you know, support structure. And so whatever decision that they make, we are there to, to kind of give them a place where they can really land their feet. You know, that's kind of how I feel about it. And I agree that the smaller the family, the more myopic we can be, the more choices that we have, um, the more attention we can give, and possibly the more enabling can take place, you know, because we can spend more time if you have one or two children or even just three, you know. So it does, it does change the dynamics, I think. But this conversation is one that I think morphs it changes yeah. from child to child, situation to situation, family to family. So uh, the navigating piece for, for my perspective is always keeping myself in check yeah. and, and my family values and, and the fact that I want home to always be a place that they can come to for that kind of safe support and encouragement. Even if we don't necessarily see eye to eye, how am I going to navigate the environment and continue to keep that for our family culture that is so important to me to create. Yeah. I think you've done a phenomenal job, Gina. When I see you with your family, your daughters are absolutely gorgeous and you all seem, you have such a great relationship. I think you've done a fantastic job with your family and your communication. So, you know, I think a lot of it really is not in our hands, bottom line, you know, It's, it's bigger than we are. Yes. And I think we have to, again, be kind to ourselves and realize that our lives are different than our parents' lives and that our grandparents' lives. And, 
and that I think our generation has been had more change than any generation throughout all again the history of the world when you think about what we've what's happened from the time that we were born until now it's yeah. incredible incredible and so mm -hmm. who knows what our our children will experience in their lifetime you know I yeah. think to say that it, it's, it might be different, but that necessarily doesn't mean that it will be bad. You know, I think there's, there's so many good things. There's so, so many good things that can happen with the change. And flexibility, you know, helping them be flexible for us to remain flexible. There you go. And, um, flexibility. That's a good one. That's a really good one. How do you stay flexible? That could be a whole other podcast, Gina. <laughs> How do you stay flexible? Let's I'm just going to stick with yoga. <laughs> yeah. That's just one aspect of flexibility. Oh. Yeah. Cause, because the human brain doesn't like change. And so that's why I think because there's so much change that's happened so fast in such a short period of time, and it just doesn't seem to be getting, you know, being any different, it's going to keep changing. And I think that's why a lot of times when we feel this, this sense of like, I don't know, doom or that something bad is going to happen when it really isn't. Yeah. So as we wrap up this conversation, again, we do want to invite everybody's input because we all have our own perspective. We all have our own situations. Um, if there's anything that encouraged you or sparked an idea, this conversation really does need a community. I think that we are meeting a lot of women who, because it is so different, it's creating kind of tension, like you said. And how do we navigate that tension? I think we need a tribe to help navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. And to hear people's stories. Mm -hmm. How have they dealt with ch their children that are living at home? Is it going really well? Are they having conflict? What about the, the, the people who are not getting married? Is it because that's their choice or is it because they really are having a hard time finding anyone and developing strong communication because of the way the world is now? You know, all of these things I would love to hear from people. And what transitions have we made as the adult parents uh, of letting go and leaning in and the the journey of our faith in that process and all of it, because especially as mothers, I think we have invested so much that that's the hardest part is the heart and the mind and the body are still so invested. We love our children in such a deep level, but how do we keep that from becoming an unhealthy thing? Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> that's a whole other topic too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge. So as we wrap it up today, again, we would like to invite you to head on over to www.feminineroadmap.com. Check out the show notes, any resources that we come up with. I will try to find that book and get it on there. Please subscribe to our podcast at iTunes or Google Play Music. Please leave us stars and comments. But most importantly, either our website or at our tribe at feminineroadmap.com. Please reach out. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what has worked for you, even what you're struggling with. And let's maximize this global community that has been created through this podcast to support one another as women in this new journey of life. All of the changes that are happening for us in midlife and what that looks like. 
And we want to thank you once again for joining us, for listening in, for supporting us. We appreciate you so much. And we look forward to chatting with you all next week. Thank you, everyone. Bye now. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.